romantic style. For March, we'll be considering five competitions of historic proportions. Each week, we'll look at a couple or more of our favorite monarchs, and you will vote on the winner. You can vote anytime during the month. Please, please follow me on social media so you can participate and vote. I'm at at Shakeup History on Instagram and Twitter, and Carol Ann Lloyd Shakeup History on Facebook. Our first competition is about the very foundation of the monarchy. Which monarch do you think contributed more to the essence of kingship in early Britain, King Arthur or Richard the Lionheart? Those monarchs take the field on Wednesday, March 3rd, and you choose the winner. Next, a rosy battle, or should I say, a rosy war. We've looked at the Wars of the Roses before, but this time we're pitting king against king. You make the choice. Who deserved to win the Wars of the Roses, Henry VI or Edward IV? They both had at least one victory over the other, but now it's time for a final round. Your vote chooses the big rosy winner. Then it's on to the Tudors. The big guy himself asked this question in 1537 in the Whitehall mural. Did Henry VII or Henry VIII contribute more to the Tudor dynasty and to England? Henry VIII answered that question, choosing himself, but I'm not willing to take his word for it. So what do you think? Which of the first two Tudors made the most difference? Then, as it's Women's History Month, as well as March Madness Month and Monarch Madness Month, our final two contests will be between the queens. First off, a classic battle between cousins. Who was the more successful queen, Elizabeth I of England or Mary, Queen of Scots? Use whatever criteria you like and choose your winner. And finally, we can't end a royal rumble without a nod to the women whose lives redefined Henry VIII over and over and over and three more times. The six wives of Henry VIII changed England, changed Henry, and changed history. So now you decide which wife had the most impact. Who changed Henry or England or history the most significantly? So, are you ready to rumble? Henry VIII was married more times than any monarch in English history. Being the king's wife certainly changed each of the women. But how did those women change Henry? And which wife changed him the most or the most significantly? That's our debate for round five of Monarch Madness, or should I say marital madness. With Henry VIII, marriage was a bit of a mad gamble. Catherine of Aragon Catherine of Aragon was 23 years old when she married Henry VIII a few days before his 18th birthday. Their wedding was a quiet affair compared to her wedding to Prince Arthur, but it was followed by a grand coronation as King and Queen of England. Catherine was married to Henry in those early and most hopeful years, when everything seemed possible. Thomas More called the coronation of Henry and Catherine, quote, the beginning of joy. Why had Henry chosen Catherine? He said it was his daughter, his father's dying wish, but that seems a bit hard to accept, as Henry VII had been laser-focused on Ferdinand and the money. But that did allow the new king to step gracefully away from an agreement to marry Eleanor of Austria. Catherine was available and ready to marry, and an ideal age to start a family. Her being a few years older was a benefit at this point. Catherine was intelligent and well-educated. Since Arthur's death, she had spent years in England. She understood English politics as well as the politics of her native Spain. 
She was even appointed ambassador to England for a period of time. The marriage got off to a great start. They had a baby boy on the 1st of January, 1511. At that moment, it must have seemed to Henry that everything he had wished for was coming true. He had a lovely wife, a baby boy, an alliance with Ferdinand of Aragon to fight against France, and a full treasury to indulge his love of magnificence and pleasure. Less than two months later, baby Prince Henry died without warning. From that time, Henry VIII learned that happiness was not his for the demanding. In fact, he became aware that people around him, in the world, and even God, would say no sometimes. Catherine continued to support Henry, and their marriage remained strong. He trusted her so much he made her regent and allowed her to manage the war with Scotland when he went off to try to conquer France in 1513. She was successful and soundly defeated James IV. And the quest for an heir continued. We know of six times Catherine was pregnant, in addition to the birth of the short-lived prince. There was Princess Mary, born in 1516, and four pregnancies that ended in miscarriage or infant death. I think Catherine changed Henry by loving him and seeing him at his best and most promising moments. She created a happy marriage and tried to give him a son. She also taught him the essence of disappointment, both in their inability to have a son and in her refusal to accept his desire to annul their marriage. Her determination and stubbornness was an unexpected lesson for Henry. Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn grew up in the sophisticated courts of Margaret of Austria and Claude of France. When she returned to England in 1522, she joined the household of Catherine of Aragon. She made a favorable impression on Henry Percy, Thomas Wyatt, and by around 1526, the king. The relationship between Henry and Anne started probably as courtly love, a game of flirtation and romantic banter that Anne had learned to play to perfection. According to different sources, when Henry VIII tried to take their relationship to the next level, she said some version of, quote, Your wife I cannot be, both as a result of mine own unworthiness and because you have a wife already. Your mistress I will not be, end quote. Henry VIII was not used to being told no, and he didn't like it. He was determined to have her. For the first time in his life, I think, Henry fell head over heels in love. He wrote her several letters that were full of phrases that sound a bit like a teenager. Quote, having been for a whole year struck with the dart of love. And, quote, my mistress and friend, my heart and I surrender ourselves into your hands. And, quote, I think it a long time till we see one another. And, quote, no more at present, darling, for lack of time, but I wish you in my arms. And, quote, darling, I heartily recommend me to you. In addition to darling and my mistress and friend, Henry also refers to Anne as mine own sweetheart. He sometimes embellishes his signature. For example, once he surrounds his initials with the word immutable, he signs one H, no other, A, B, seek, R, meaning Henry, who seeks no other than A, B, and another time does the same thing in French. Henry is most definitely struck with a dart of love and giving full reign to his feelings. This is something we just don't see with him and anyone else. This great love inspires Henry to his great matter. 
Henry and Anne embarked on a long seven-year ordeal of pleading with the Pope, haranguing the Pope, begging the Pope, having a trial in England that ended up solving nothing, engaging new ministers with other ideas such as Cromwell and Cranmer, and eventually breaking with the Pope and starting the Church of England. Archbishop of Canterbury Thomas Cranmer agreed the marriage to Catherine was void and the marriage to Anne Boleyn was true. So in June 1533, Anne Boleyn was crowned Queen of England. It was a pinnacle moment for her and for her relationship with the king. All that remained was for her to give birth to the child she was carrying, which was surely a son. Or not. When Elizabeth was born, it was a blow. The relationship was not dead, but Henry's great love was evaporating. Anne's feisty and flirtatious nature, so beguiling during their courtship, irritated Henry during their marriage. Her continued failure to have a son led him to act on another way Anne had changed him. She had, unfortunately for her, taught Henry that he could move on, and he did. In a stunning series of events in May 1536, Anne went from being recognized as queen and attending the May Day celebrations on the 1st of May to being beheaded for treason on the 19th. Once Henry had dispensed with Anne, he moved quickly on to Jane Seymour. After spending the first 27 years of his reign with Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, Henry married four other women in the final 11 years of his reign. Of course, Jane died a little more than a year after their wedding, so Henry didn't end that marriage. And the marriage to Catherine Parr ended with Henry's death. If he had lived longer, they might have been married longer. But it's true. He had a much easier time envisioning the end of a convenient relationship after Anne Boleyn. Jane Seymour. And how did Jane Seymour change Henry VIII? She gave him his greatest desire, a healthy, legitimate son. Henry had expected this years earlier. Henry VII, after all, had produced a son just eight months after his wedding. With Henry VIII, it took 28 years. But at long last, his son was born. Why did this change Henry's reign so dramatically? One of the key factors of the years of the wars that had rocked England in the previous century was a question about the succession. When Henry VIII inherited the throne from his father as an adult, peacefully and without controversy, it was the first time that had happened for nearly a hundred years. That was one of the factors that propelled the Tudor dynasty through the first quarter of the 16th century. But Henry VIII would not live forever, and his lack of a viable male heir was beginning to weaken his hold on the throne. Providing for the succession was one of the king's most important jobs. Henry was surrounded by monarchs in Europe, such as Francis I and Charles V, who had sons. Henry may have blamed his lack of male heirs on the wives. It was definitely Catherine of Aragon's fault, and then it was definitely Anne Boleyn's. But he knew that European powerhouses were beginning to wonder what would happen in England if Henry died. Both of his daughters had been declared illegitimate and removed from the line of succession. And there were plenty of people with drops of royal blood who would be all too happy to claim the throne and end the Tudor dynasty. The way to prevent a power grab and more years of disputed rule and war? A son. And that son came from Jane Seymour. The king's choice of Jane had surprised some people. She lacked the international connections of Catherine of Aragon. She lacked the sophistication of Anne Boleyn. But Jane had an ambitious family who saw their chance and moved her in. And Jane's mother had provided her husband with sons. It was reasonable to expect Jane to do the same. Fortunately for her, for Henry, for the Tudor dynasty, and for England, she did so. Edward's birth in October 1537 was a huge event for Henry. He arranged a magnificent christening ceremony in Hampton Court Palace with a specially built structure to enable the large gathering 
to see the baby and the elaborate christening font. The procession included gentlemen of the court, children of the chapel, the king's counselors, Lord Chamberlain, Cromwell, the Duke of Norfolk, Archbishop of Canterbury, Lady Elizabeth, and others. These were followed by the prince under a canopy, carried by the Marquis of Exeter, dukes, other ladies and nurses, members of the privy chamber, and the godmother, Lady Mary. It was a spectacular event. Sadly, Jane Seymour died a few days later. She was buried in St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. Henry was buried with her after his death nearly 10 years later. Jane made an appearance when Henry created a portrait to capture his family dynasty in 1545. Although he was married to Catherine Parr at the time, Henry had Jane painted at his side. The core family was Henry, Jane, and Edward. Mary and Elizabeth are included on the sidelines, a representation of their tenuous status. After Jane's death, Henry spent more than two years as a single man. This was the longest he ever went without a wife. It wasn't necessarily his great grief or mourning. It was becoming more difficult to find someone willing to marry him. Anna of Cleves. And did Anna of Cleves, wife number four, change Henry VIII? I think she did. First, she inadvertently gave Henry a nasty dose of reality. Anna was the only wife Henry didn't pick himself. In fact, the marriage was arranged before they met. So Henry was eager to meet his new bride. Before their officially arranged meeting, he burst in on her. As he had often done in his early days, he put on a disguise of sorts, dressing in an old cloak and posing as a messenger. While married to Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, Henry had occasionally dressed up as Robin Hood or other characters and burst in upon his unsuspecting wife and her ladies. Knowing the king well, Catherine and Anne had been wise enough to recognize him and play along. Of course, Anna of Cleves never expected the nearly 50-year-old king of England to dress up like a messenger. She thought the rough-looking and smelly man was a messenger. So she treated him like a messenger. And when he attempted to kiss her, she pushed him away. Rather than seeing Henry as a powerful and magnificent king, she saw him as an old man who was out of shape and huge and limping and smelly and pushy and not particularly appealing. I don't think Henry ever really recovered. He put on a show, of course, and brazened it out. But someone had seen him as he was. Henry had to go through with the wedding to Anna, but he was working to make a change. The way he ended his marriage to Anna was another step for Henry. He basically made her an offer she couldn't, and probably didn't want to, refuse. After all, once Henry came up with that prior contract plan to end his marriage to Anna, it was over. Anna knew all about Henry's marital track record. Once he was done with someone, he was done. Catherine of Aragon had died alone and unhappy. Anne Boleyn had been beheaded. Anna of Cleves was wise and pragmatic enough to recognize her position and the best way to stay alive and well in Henry's court, agree with him. When she was offered the position of King's sister, Richmond Palace and Bletchingley Manor, as well as Hever Castle, and jewels played in goods, she accepted. She wrote a letter agreeing to Henry's terms and expressing appreciation for all his kindness. She agreed to remain in England. She lived the, well the rest of Henry's reign, occasionally returning to court and remaining on friendly terms with the king. Anna of Cleves taught Henry to play nice. I remember hearing once that Henry VIII had never succeeded in making one of his wives so happy for such an extended period of time. Catherine Howard? And what about Catherine Howard? We really don't know much about Catherine's childhood. Even the exact year of her birth is a mystery. She was probably born around 1522, making her around 
13 when she married the king. After her mother died, Catherine was sent to live with her step-grandmother, the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk. She and the other ladies living there were poorly supervised. Her prospects were limited. She had some sort of relationship with her music teacher, Henry Mannix, when she was 12 or 13, and a longer relationship with Francis Durham. According to friends' later testimonies, Catherine and Durham addressed each other as husband and wife. After growing up with little or no instruction about what would be expected at court, Catherine came to court to join Anna of Cleves' household. She was naive and excited by the change in her life. Before long, she caught the king's eye. Once he spotted her, he was enchanted. It was his chance to experience youth again with a young bride. Henry married Catherine quickly after his marriage to Anna of Cleves was dissolved. How did Catherine change Henry? First, I think she changed Henry by giving him a period of fantasy life after the harsh experience he had with reality, thanks to Anne of Cleves. He showered attention and gifts on his young wife. He is described as being unable to keep his hands off her whenever they were together. In his obsession, Henry created a version of his fifth wife that met his needs. He called her his, quote, rose without a thorn and imagined a version of her life that never included anyone but himself. When the truth of her past and the possibility of her having some kind of relationship or planned relationship with Thomas Culpepper came to light, Henry was devastated, and then he was furious. He shut himself away and gave rein to his self-pity. Henry sacrificed Catherine on the altar of his need to believe in his own infallibility. He became the worst version of himself, and she became the second wife beheaded by her husband. He had now killed two wives to sustain his version of himself. Catherine Parr. Catherine Parr offered the king a sort of redemption. She was possibly one of the most, if not the most, well-suited women to be his wife, and certainly the most suited at the end of his life. Catherine had been married twice before and had learned to be an excellent stepmother. She was refined and attractive and well-read, a sensible woman who offered the king lively conversation and steady support. Catherine brought intelligence and passion to the marriage, and she made the most of her time as queen consort. How did Catherine Parr change Henry? Although she was not some kind of nursemaid, she did help Henry through his final years. She proved to be an exemplary consort. Henry trusted her enough to make her regent during his final attempt to conquer France in 1544. She met daily with advisors and took the responsibility very seriously, writing regularly to Henry to report about what was happening at court. She wrote the words for a religious song that Thomas Tallis composed for service at St. Paul's in support of the war against France. Her influence was felt in many areas. One of these areas was religious reform. Henry's beliefs had always been largely conservative, and his changing commitment to religious reform frustrated reform-minded men like Thomas Cranmer. After Cromwell's execution in 1540, the progress of religious reform had sputtered. Catherine, herself committed to reform, stepped into this religious tension. As the king's health declined, Catholic ministers such as Bishop Gardner worried that Catherine's religious conversations with the king might tip him into a more reform-minded mood, leading him to tilt the next reign in that direction. Using Annescu and her known support of reform, Gardner and his friends attempted to include the queen in accusations of heresy, despite repeated torture, and refused to implicate the queen. Even without her testimony, the others moved against the queen and convinced Henry that her conversations were decidedly heretical. The king agreed to an investigation. Somehow, Catherine found out, and during her next conversation with the 
King was careful not to express her own opinions too forcefully. When the king asked why the change, she explained that she had participated in lively, challenging conversations with him, not to question his authority, but to distract him from pain and troubles. The king forgave her, and she remained in favor until his death. Another important way Catherine changed, or at least influenced Henry, was his attitude about his daughters and the succession. Of course, we don't know exactly how much she influenced his decision to bring Mary and Elizabeth back into the decision, but it is clear that Catherine promoted a family atmosphere at court. Henry's parliament passed the Third Succession Act in 1543, and it officially designated both Mary and Elizabeth as heirs of Henry VIII. The family portrait of 1545 shows this, with Mary and Elizabeth included. And speaking of that portrait, I would absolutely love to know what Catherine Parr thought when Jane Seymour came back from the grave to appear as the king's wife. Catherine outlived Henry and married for the fourth time a few months after his death. Your turn. Henry VIII died the 28th of January, 1547. Two wives, Catherine Parr and Anna of Cleves, outlived him. All his wives changed him. But which wife changed him the most? That's up to you. Vote for the wife you think made the greatest difference on possibly history's worst husband, Henry VIII. And next time, we're extending Monarch Madness to celebrate our final five. Thank you for playing Monarch Madness. Now, before you go, please take a moment to subscribe, leave a rating, and share with a friend. And I always love hearing what you think. Thank you so much. Be sure to make your voice heard. Vote for your favorite monarch at at Shakeup History on Instagram and Twitter and Carol Ann Lloyd Shakeup History on Facebook. And let's keep shaking up history together. Thank you.